you can probably treat yourself to an ad-free upgrade or at least grab an extra latte after getting a Chime checking account with features like fee-free overdraft up to $200 with SpotMe, no minimum balance requirements, and no monthly fees. Open your account in minutes at chime.com slash goals24. That's chime.com slash goals24. Chime feels like progress. Banking services and debit card provided by the Bancorp Bank N.A. or Stride Bank N.A. members FDIC. Spot me eligibility requirements and overdraft limits apply. For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile. And the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time. There's Granger, Offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call. Clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. Yo, 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 what is up, Zinger Nation? Welcome back to Moon or Bust, your home for all things crypto at Benzinga. My name is Logan, and I am joined today by Ryan. Uh, what? Ryan, are, are you in the metaverse right that? now? Who said that? I'm in the metaverse. I'm lost. I don't know where I'm going. Right, it's time um, to do a show. You gotta, you gotta stop gaming. Oh shit, we're on Moon or Bust, bro. We're live right now. What are you doing? <laughs> I was exploring the metaverse, just like we're doing on today's show, Logan. Oh, I see what you did there. I see what you did there. So tell us about today's show. What do we got going on? Yeah, we got a super cool interview for you guys coming up right around two thirty with the CEO and co-founder of Star Atlas, Michael Wagner, doing some incredible things. Probably one of the biggest goals in the metaverse, creating a huge metaverse in space it's going to be really cool so i'm excited for that but before that we'll look at the markets we're looking a little bit poor today we're all a little bit sad that the markets are down but we'll get through it some market therapy for you guys that is much much needed today uh we're also going to be going over some cool things like how to apply to mcdonald's uh so <laughs> if you're interested in that or getting our thoughts on the crypto projects you are looking at drop them in the chat down below right now and we should have time to take a look at a couple today i'm curious to hear what are you buying the dip on okay i'm gonna i'm gonna drop a comment and so we can keep it up here what are you buying what what are you buying the dip on uh, boom. All right. Let us know in the comments down below and we can kick it off with some Bitcoin action. So let me share my screen, Ryan, and I'll have you take it away with the analysis. Logan, I'm curious. Have you bought the dip yet on any coins? I did. I woke up this morning. I saw ETH at 2200 uh, and I could not help myself. I had to pick some up. How about you? Yeah, you can't resist at these prices. I got some, uh, I think, two days ago now at around 2400 I'm looking to buy more, but we are in a downtrend right now, so I'm waiting. Hopefully, we'll see a reversal, but if I can catch a knife on the on this dip, then I will. Uh, but yeah, I mean, it's pretty tempting here at $2,200. If we can get in below 2000 I think it's a no-brainer, um, but I'm not buying any other altcoins right now. I'm looking at Ethereum. If we are in a crypto winter, I don't want to be stuck in altcoins. Um, I don't think we are yet, though. No, neither do I. I am not convinced. All right, let's take a look at this chart. We see Bitcoin. These are the weekly candles. And we have a very clear McDonald's M logo pattern forming on the chart. You can see the golden arches right in front of us. Uh, and this is a sign. This is telling us something uh, that I think we need to be paying attention to. Okay, So if we head on over to careers.mcdonalds.com, um, we can see where all of us are going to be uh, in two months from now. 
Um, so, you know, e- either we're on the restaurant team, we're probably not going to get a chance at the corporate careers. Um, but the restaurant jobs, making the fries, this is, this is our sweet spot right here. Um, Logan, stop fudding. <laughs> you fudding. Yeah. Okay, so I'm going so to own the, McDonald's in two months, not work at McDonald's in two months. You know, you know the expression "wag me." We're all gonna make it. We're all gonna work at McDonald's. Yeah, yeah, that's that's the new one that I came up with. Wag wham. We are all gonna work at McDonald's. Wag wham. Wag wham. Okay. Moon or bus term. It's been coined. <laughs> yes, wag wham is the the new theme for today's show. Um, but enough joking around. We already talked about how we're buying the dip. Uh, let's see what you guys are looking at. We got Elite Trading looking at ADA. It's probably a steal right now. ADA stands for $8 always, in case you didn't know. Um, Igor, buying Bitcoin can never go wrong. Uh, this is definitely, definitely, in my opinion, uh, one of the times that I want to be holding onto a Bitcoin bag, considering the, um, the uncertain economic conditions surrounding the United States dollar, potentially a CBDC, uh, but potentially not. We're going to have to keep our eyes open for that Federal Reserve report coming out uh, within a week or two here. Um, We will keep you guys updated. As soon as that comes out, it's going to be the biggest news. We're going to know, you know, companies, corporations, investors will know what they can and cannot do in crypto. Finally, 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 this is going to be a huge amount of clarity for the market, and it should be very bullish. We can only hope not much more room to go down from here. Uh, we have Andy is buying USDT. Does that mean you're selling crypto for, for USDT? You're selling Bitcoin and ETH for USDT? Or are you uh, just changing fiat into uh, stablecoin so you can get ready to shove when you think the time is right? Andy, let us know. Curious to hear. Logan, did you see all those stable coins were on sale yesterday? You could get into USDT or USDC for like 95 to 96 cents. Seems like no seems like a pretty good investment in today's markets. And a ninety-five cent USDT, not bad. Is it back you know up to happened? a dollar yet? I have no idea, but I haven't seen stablecoins fluctuate like that in a really long time. We used to see stablecoins fluctuate by five to ten percent, maybe a year or two ago, but they've been really stable over this past year. So it was interesting to see that they aren't quite as stable as they used to be. It's probably due to these market conditions we're seeing right now. Uh, but I really mm-hmm. haven't seen much news on it. Are we back that to a dollar? Interesting. We are back at a dollar on Tether, See, back at a dollar on USDC. Would have been a great trade. Would have made 5%. Would have beaten the rest of the crypto markets by a long shot. I wasn't smart enough to do it, though. It just wasn't risky enough for me. You know what's really cool is that uh, Terra has been extremely successful at maintaining the peg throughout these uh, volatile conditions. We saw it. It corrected down to $0.94, cents, Ryan. This must be what you're talking about here. Um but it had no problem coming right back up to a dollar, stabilizing itself. Uh, pretty bullish for the Terra. But go, system. Logan, go check out USDT and you'll see what I'm saying. It's been more volatile lately. That was back in May. So something must have happened uh, back in the spring with you, with uh, Terra USD. But USDT, if you go to the one month. Huh. That's interesting. Maybe it was just a glitch on Coin Market Cap because I saw USDT was at ninety-five cents just a day or two ago. You sure it wasn't UST? You could check the chart, but I thought it was USDT. Oh, that's what I was just showing you. UST. Uh, it had this dip down to ninety-five cents. Yeah, but that was back in May. That wasn't a couple days ago. Oh, okay. Interesting. Well, regardless, um, stable coins are becoming more and more uh, of a 
topic of focus for the government, for the corporations, and UST is the decentralized stablecoin that is maintained by Terra Luna, um, which has managed to, let's see, it got up to $100. What's it trading at right now? 66. Not too bad. Not too bad. Um, but we'll keep our eyes on it going forward. Could be bullish, yeah. especially if some big stablecoin regulation comes in. And today, the, the cryptocurrency markets did see a 50% drawdown from their all-time highs. So that's a good basis to see now how your altcoins are holding up against the general market. If it's above mm -hmm. 50% from its all-time highs, then it's outperforming the rest of the markets. If it's below 50% from its all-time highs, then it is underperforming the markets right now. And that is what you want to beat Bitcoin and Ethereum. If you can beat those, you are an OG altcoin trader, certified legit. Uh, but it's pretty hard to do. All right. Yeah, especially last year, it was definitely hard to do. I barely outperformed Ethereum last year. I'm hoping to outperform ETH this year with my NFT portfolio. Uh, but Logan, what are you making from this chart? I see you drew a couple lines. We were in a triangle that we did break out of. Didn't look like there was much support there. Maybe it's time to redraw those lines. I don't know. Yeah, man. I, I, these lines aren't doing much for me right now. But like we said on, on last week's show, the best part about drawing lines is that you can always redraw them when they're wrong. Uh, so let's see, Ryan, where are we going to draw our line today? You thinking Maybe, yeah. There? Connect, connect there. Oh, look at We're at support. <laughs> and I just like that go. guys this bearish bearish day has turned into <laughs> bullish support uh new all-time high soon yeah, i mean it looks like it by the line you drew uh, but I would be connecting that line to the previous support that we saw uh, back in July and August when we had that summer dip. And it looks like we've broken through that now, too, uh, if I had to guess. So it's not looking too hot right now for Ethereum, for Bitcoin. Everything's in a really solid downtrend. So like I said, I want to catch a knife on this dip, but it's a dangerous game to play. A, a lot safer of a bet would be just wait until the trend reverses. You see a clear uptrend and then start buying. We'll still be well below the all-time highs when that occurs. So that's certainly a good opportunity there if you don't want to try and catch the knife as everything's dropping so quickly. So Andy makes a really good point I want to talk about. Bitcoin it has outperformed the traditional markets, the S&P 500, uh, just over the, the last you know, 12 to 24 hours. Um, while the markets were very unstable and, and moving down, Bitcoin has corrected, bounced a little bit. Uh, this could be pretty meaningless, but it also might signify a greater shift. Uh, and the shift that I think we might see is that as interest rates change, um, a lot of the investments that were being placed on leverage will not be feasible anymore. A lot of the big investors are going to have to sell off their positions, their high risk positions, um, their growth positions in order uh, to cover their costs and start paying the interest again. So. I think that people will probably start moving out of, of the assets that they've been in forever while the interest rates have been zero. Um, and then as inflation hits the scene as well, people will be looking towards crypto. Uh, my Coinbase stock was down bad this morning when I woke up, but it has bounced and fully recovered. I think that people who are in the you know traditional stock market are going to start turning to Coinbase soon. If not, I will be homeless and filling out that McDonald's application 
Ryan, what do you think uh, of kind of like the bigger picture trends in the market here? Yeah, it's definitely interesting. I don't know if I would say that Bitcoin's outperforming the NASDAQ. The NASDAQ is down about 6% in the last five days. Today, the NASDAQ's down about 2.5%. So I think we're seeing volatility on both ends. I certainly think Bitcoin's probably the better option at this point. Uh, Of course, I'm biased, but I think we might be seeing support soon with Bitcoin. We saw it dip down to about $30,000 over the summer. And I'd be really surprised if we don't hold that $30,000 range. So there's limited downside at this point, in my opinion. And I think the upside potential in 2022 is still really large. I think we could definitely still see $100,000. We have 12 months to go. A lot can happen in the crypto space with with 12 months to go. So I'd be buying Bitcoin here. I haven't been buying stocks in the past year since uh, since the COVID crash. So I'm full-time crypto at this point. We like to hear, man. Uh, let us know what you guys uh, are allocating between in the comments down below. I'm very curious. Ryan and I are both, uh, you know, super, super in the rabbit hole of crypto, obviously. Um, you know, Coinbase is, is the only stock position that I own and it is crypto exposure. Um, what, what percentage of crypto exposure do you have in your portfolio? Uh, drop it in the comments below. And while you're down there, make sure to smash that like button if you're enjoying today's content. Uh, The markets are down, but we can still get the likes up, okay? This is the only hopamine that I'm going to have a shot at today. So smash the like if you don't mind. Um, Ryan, let's take a look at some on-chain activity. So last week, we talked about how we need to see a volume spike uh, and potentially a big liquidation cascade before we can change directions. Um, So taking a look at the... Bitcoin futures open interest perpetual right now. Um, let's just zoom in to January 2021 until now. We saw that there was a big liquidation cascade that happened uh, today or yesterday, last night from this crash. Uh, but we're not exactly where we want to be, at least as far as I can tell. I don't know. We saw the turnaround here, uh, which looks like it's actually pretty close to where we are now. Ryan, what do you think uh, about the open interest? That's interesting. This isn't really a metric I pay attention to, but it is interesting that we're really close to those levels that we saw at the end of summer, and that is when we bounce back. So, I mean, we could certainly bounce back any day now, uh, but I don't think we'll be seeing all-time highs for another few months. Logan, you mentioned on the last episode that you'll be looking at a volume spike, a sell-side volume spike before Mm -hmm. uh, you think this dip is in. Have we seen that increase in volume yet, or is it still relatively low? Unfortunately, we have not seen the volume spike yet. Volume is still low. Whales are accumulating and retail interest is nowhere to be found, uh, which makes me a little bit sad. We'd love to see retail get in at these good prices. But, you know, traditionally, retail loves to buy the top, buy the rip and sell the dip. But that's why you watch Moon or Bust, right? Yes, sir. But Logan, that's an interesting point you bring up because I've seen a lot of crypto whales have actually been selling. Uh, I don't know if this was according to Glassnode or some other on-chain analytics firm, but it was up until just a few days ago that whales were selling this downtrend and now they're starting to accumulate again. So hopefully that's a good sign. But that was concerning to me seeing that these big whales and these long-term holders were actually selling off their positions over the last few weeks. You, Long-term holders were selling off their positions? Either long-term holders or whales, but it was one of the two, uh, and they, they've been selling for the past few weeks. It just recently changed a few days ago. Interesting. Let's take a look at the HODL waves here. Um, 
or the long-term holder percentage of the supply? Let's see, let's see, let's see. All right, long-term and short-term holder supply in profit and loss. So uh, long-term holders here in blue, short-term holders in red. It looks like we've actually been pretty stable um, for the past couple months. This is interesting. So let's try to make sense of this. Okay, so the light blue is the long-term holder loss. It looks like long-term holders are down around 10%. Uh, or actually, now they're down to down about 16%, whereas short-term holders are down the same amount. Um, I don't know. I'm not making any... In the, I'm not getting any insightful thoughts on this chart, Ryan. Are you seeing anything that I'm not? Nope. All right. Let's take a look at the illiquid supply change. So... The illiquid supply are, are basically the hodlers. Um, these are the coins that are dormant for a significant period of time. Um, and the wallets that hold these illiquid coins are tagged as the illiquid supply. So we can see the hodlers um, really took advantage when it corrected in the uh, late November. Since then, uh, they have maintained more or less the same amount. Nothing too crazy from there, but... They sold off heavily at the end of May, uh, and we have not seen any sell-off from the big illiquid supply yet. So this, I think, uh, tells me that the hodlers are still convicted and that they think the bull run is not over yet. Ryan, would you agree? Yeah, I think that makes sense. And look at this, the long-term holder net position change. So we see the long-term holders are once again accumulating... Um, so this is probably the chart I was talking about a few minutes ago, Logan, because it looks like it just recently changed where the long-term holders were selling off up until a few days ago, and now the net position change is positive. So more long-term holders are actually buying Bitcoin now than before. Before, more long-term holders were selling off their positions, mm. um, and it looks like that just changed as of recent. Yeah, I think that that's a pretty good sign. Um, it's interesting that they accumulated so heavily excuse me, at $34,000 here. I guess that was, this is a really big chart. Let's just zoom in on 2021 till now. Um, okay, so long-term holders were taking profits all the way throughout the beginning of the bull run. Um, and then they were reaccumulating throughout the summer, uh, just as Ryan and I were. Um, then as the price started selling off, they long-term holders were taking profits as well. Now we see uh, since... January 1st, the long-term holders are once again increasing their position size. Um, I like this. I like this. What do you think? Yeah, I like it too. I like following long-term holders. I like following whales because at the end of the day, that's where a lot of the smart money's at. And this is where all these people that have been making so much money off cryptocurrency for the past decade are putting their money. So I think it is a good indicator of where the market may be going uh, as opposed to maybe short-term holders. Mm -hmm. right, but uh fourth wave has a comment in the chat that i do agree with love the channel yes i agree i do love the channel don't love <laughs> the bitcoin also kind of agree it's not risky enough for me not that interesting can't do too much on it so i'm thinking logan why don't we look at some on-chain analytics for ethereum real quick all right and i'm in total agreement with you there i think that uh everything that's going on in ethereum is much more exciting um, but the market follows Bitcoin. Bitcoin will be the key to mass adoption outside of NFTs. Um, 
And so we, we are following Bitcoin to see where the rest of the market will go. Um, all right. Anything in particular jumping out to you? Do you want to look at derivatives? Um, we can look at wallets, DEXs. Not bad. What about percent supply and smart contracts, Logan? I saw that one. It looks like we might be leveling off right now as interest wanes on Ethereum. Uh, but we did see a huge run up. Now, this was back. There's a huge spike in 2016. I'm pretty sure that was when the Dow was around and everyone was throwing their money into the Dow before it was hacked. Uh, I could be wrong, at- though. But yeah, let's take a look. Perfect. So for quite a while, we were just above 10% of the total supply of Ether locked into DeFi. And now we're up to over 25%. So that's huge. I don't think this includes Ethereum 2.0, which is actually being phased out. We're not we're not calling Ethereum 2.0 Ethereum 2.0 anymore. Uh, thanks to one of our writers, Odd Harsh, I caught that this morning. The Ethereum Foundation is phasing out Ethereum 2.0 and instead just calling it the merge to avoid confusion. Uh, Some people think, you know, Ethereum and Ethereum 2.0 are two different coins. I actually had my stepdad ask me that one time, what's Ethereum 2.0? I see it on Coinbase. Is that something else? Like it it looks like it's the same price. Uh, So I understand there is some confusion there. So it is probably smart of Ethereum to do that. But I was surprised to see that. They've been calling it Ethereum 2.0 now for years and years. So before this merge is happening, uh, they're switching and just calling it the merge. And then there's the verge, uh, the splurge, and, and I think maybe even one more. But those will be years away. The merge is coming this year, though. It's supposed to be in Q2 2022. Fingers crossed, knock on wood. I'm really hoping to see the merge happen here over the summer. Me too, man. Me too. So taking a look at the new validators on Ethereum 2, um, we see a spike just very recently um and we've also seen spikes like here where the price is very low it's cheaper to become a validator do you think that this is just because of the price uh or are there is there anything else that's going on in the background not anything i know of off the top of my head that's going on but it does make sense as ethereum's price goes down more and more validators will join the network it does cost 32 ETH, so it's not inexpensive to be a validator on Ethereum. Of course, you can go over to Coinbase or another exchange and stake your Ethereum on ETH 2.0 without having 32 Ether, but they do take a cut, and it's a pretty good cut. I know Coinbase takes 25% of the interest you earn if you stake it on their platform. So a lot of these whales that have a lot of Ethereum to spend want to stake it themselves, and they want to do so when Ethereum is a bit cheaper especially when you have to stake 32 Ethereum. That's a big difference, you know, 3000 to $2,000. That's that's a $32,000 difference when you're staking your Ether. All right. Patrick Starr in the chat wants to take a look at Solana. Uh, so let's indulge him, Ryan. What do you this think is, uh... is the entry point on Solana? Solana. 
Uh, it looks like maybe where that resistance was back in uh, end of August, early September. That's where I would be looking. We're awfully close to it right now. I mean, this looks like a great entry point. And Patrick, thanks for shouting out Solana, because if you did not know, Star Atlas is made on the Solana blockchain. They're doing huge things. And that interview is coming right up for you guys in about five minutes. But yeah, man, Solana is down bad right now. We're at, what, $85? We were up to $240. Solana is not P. That is correct. <laughs> and I would not want to be holding Solana through this downtrend. I'm glad I really am not. Uh, so, yeah, I mean, it does look like a good buy-in point. I still think Solana could go to $1,000 this bull market. I mean, if, if we're going to be in a bull market in 2022, I could see Solana hitting $1,000. Uh, so what's, yeah. your, what's your reasoning behind that $1,000 price target, Ryan? I think it has the best ecosystem out of any layer one smart contract blockchain other than Ethereum. And a lot of people are looking to, for alternatives other than Ethereum to use, uh, to use DEXs, to do some of these play to earn games, to buy NFTs. And all these catalysts that are driving Ethereum will also be driving these alternative layer one investments. Uh, so that's my main thesis on Solana. I think it has the best ecosystem out of any alternate layer one. And I think it'll do really well. And it also has Sam Bankman freed behind it. I mean, he's one of the biggest faces in the crypto space. So I'm mm-hmm. sure he can he can pump his own bags well enough with his influence. Yeah, I think so too. Um, I don't know if Solana, I don't know if I have the same $1,000 price target. I do think Solana will hit new all-time highs, at least maybe $500 in my opinion. But um, the thing that concerns me is the LPs uh, on Solana. And, and yeah, Sam Bankman Freed is going to make sure that bag gets pumped, but he's also going to make sure that he gets rich off of it, right? And, and that oftentimes means dumping on retail, dumping on the late adopters. So just be careful, keep that in mind. Um, but I agree, this does look like a really, really, really good entrance point for Solana. I mean, if we see it break down below this support line, um, I'd probably be a little bit concerned. I mean, what's what's the next one after that? It's probably I would be eyeing sixty dollars. Right? Yeah. So I mean, the downside's still limited. I think there is another support right around sixty dollars. Which I mean, if you're buying at seventy five, that's still about a thirty percent decrease. So uh, I mean, it's still a large decrease, but we're already down from two hundred forty dollars. It's always good to be buying on the dips, not at all time highs. So um, yeah, maybe I'll even pick up some Solana on this dip. I don't know. Certainly excited about the Solana ecosystem and the advent of scalable blockchains, scalable NFTs. Uh, And one of the platforms that's taking advantage of this is called Star Atlas. This is one of the biggest metaverse projects that's currently underway. uh, And it is our supreme honor and privilege to have the CEO of Star Atlas on with us today. So before I bring Michael on, I see him in the background. I just want to play a little trailer um, so everyone can get an idea of what the metaverse is exactly that we are about to enter. So um, I have to take my screen share off so I can share the audio. Uh, But give me one second. Here we go. Oh, wait, 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 wait. All right, here we go. Miles, the station reported a distress signal last night. They think it came from your dad's ship. The signal, it came from past the outer ring. 
How is that even possible? This ship has been reported missing for 20 years now. Pretty sure he's not coming back. We go there. We might not come back. What is this place? This is going to change everything. They found out we have the map. They're gonna kill us for it. If that's the case, there's only one thing we can do. Joining us now is Michael. Michael, thanks for coming on. Great to see you again. Yeah. Good morning, guys. Good afternoon. How are you? Doing well. Thank you. Feeling kind of poor working on my McDonald's application. Uh, but other than that, we're doing great. Uh, I love that that painting behind you. Is that a Pollock? It's not, but it's a it's essentially a replica of sorts or it's same style. Uh, just a local artist, though. Got awesome. A, got a, I know out here. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Thanks for showing that cinematic trailer. I would also point out for anyone out there interested on our YouTube, we have uh, several trailers that we've released, including some in-engine trailers, one that came out on December 25th. If you guys want to get a sense of what this universe is going to look like being built in Unreal Engine 5, um, definitely check that out. It's a really good trailer of our upcoming showroom module that will be coming out this year. Awesome. So uh, let's talk Star Atlas. Okay, so this is a huge, huge name for the people that are deep in the metaverse ecosystem, deep in metaverse tokens in Solana. Um, everybody who, who knows their stuff knows about Star Atlas. Why do you think that, that this is? How has your project gotten so much attention? Yeah, well, you know, I would say just starting with the simple fact that we're maybe not so simple fact in, act in, in practicality, but the idea of building out these AAA quality gaming standards. So using an engine like Unreal Engine, um, you know, naturally integration of the economy through uh, through blockchain, through cryptocurrency, building on Solana. But you know, our primary motivation and objective was to ensure that we delivered a gameplay experience that uh, was entertaining and engaging on its own. Right. So without the play to earn mechanics and the blockchain gaming mechanics, this should be an experience that people want to engage with and spend time in. And so uh, that was the starting point for us. And it's, um, you know, we've seen massive growth across our community over the past year since coming to market with this. And uh, I, I'd have to place, you know, a lot of the attribution to this, to that fact. And Michael, I'm curious, why did you choose to build Star Atlas on Solana as opposed to maybe an alternative layer one? Yeah, I was just listening to you guys, by the way, before I jumped on. So I uh, was happy to hear a little bit of the discussion surrounding Solana. But, you know, um, what it really came down to us, first and foremost, was scalability and cost. And um, so, you know, in the case of Solana, we're looking at a network that is potentially greater than 50,000 transactions per second, less than a penny per transaction, uh, sub second finality on state changes. So like the actual processing of transactions on the network. Um, those were all critical to us because what we understand about our product is this is not something that's going to be attractive to, say, 
hundreds of thousands or even millions, uh, we believe that we have reach that ranges in the potential of billions of people all over the world. So, you know, part of that is for the core gaming concept, but uh, really extending into the future, this idea of metaverse and what's going to be possible in these hyper-realistic uh, virtual environments, right? Like the, the ability for commerce and social experiences and interactions and even things like governance and academics can take place inside inside Star Atlas, the metaverse. So um, we understood that we needed a network that was highly scalable and could really meet the demands of high transaction throughput. Now, I will footnote that because there's probably some critics out there right now uh, about Solana. It's, it's uh, experienced some congestion on the network and some instability. It, it actually has experienced some down, downtime. Um, with all that being said, you know, I would say they're kind of victims of their own success. So sure, there are many other layer ones out there or alternative layer ones that are maybe outperforming on a day-to-day -day basis, but they also haven't seen the level of adoption that Solana has. So tremendous amount of innovation, projects going to it, the DeFi ecosystem's fantastic. Since we joined, there have been many gaming projects that are uh, joining Solana. And so naturally, you know, a network or a protocol that's in its beta state like Solana is, um, experiencing this this uh, uh, parabolic growth in the user base, um, you know, it's going to experience some challenges. So, uh, all that said, <clears throat> we have a lot of confidence around the uh, behind the the team at Solana to resolve these issues in the long term. So, um, the network or the technology was kind of the starting point for us. It needed to be able to satisfy those requirements. Um, you guys mentioned SBF. I mean, seeing institutional endorsement from a player like that, a you know founder of Alameda and FTX and, and being a lead in the consortium uh, behind Project Serum, which is the decentralized exchange protocol on, on Solana, you know, that um, that gave a lot of credence to the potential of the platform. And then um, two final points. One, you know, being able to leverage all of the innovation and decentralized finance, which was a major emphasis and focus in the creation of Solana, being able to leverage um, these tools and protocols and primitives that are coming out and be able to integrate them directly into Star Atlas to the benefit of our users without having the requirement of going out and building it ourselves, we see as a very efficient way of growing our own ecosystem. Um, and then finally, you know, it's, uh, I always kind of sound like a hipster on this point, but we, you know, we started working with Solana back in late 2020. So it was like August of 2020 when we started talking to them and the eco, the Solana ecosystem itself was still kind of in its nascent stages, I would say something like 20 to 25 projects being built there. And so we saw this synergistic opportunity to bring the potential for these billions of users to Solana as their entry point into crypto. Um, but at the same time, Solana was very supportive of us in coming to market um, and, and you know, kind of promoting our concept and exposing us to their existing community, which really bootstrapped our initial, um, we'll call it player base. So a lot of things went into the decision, but um, yeah, I, I think it was one of the best decisions that we ultimately made uh, kicking off Star Atlas. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. I mean, Solana definitely has the throughput that you guys need to build something like Star, Act, uh, Star Atlas and certainly also has the ecosystem to do so as well. Um, my next question for you, Michael, will we ever be able to use other NFTs within Star Atlas? Uh, so could I like pilot a, a rocket ship in the game with a mutant in the future? Uh, or will I need to choose an Atlas within Star, Star Atlas? Because I know you guys have those factions. Um, so I'm curious to hear about that. 
there's there's a lot of directions I could take this. And then, the, you know, the question of interoperability is one that we get a lot. So uh, first of all, uh, bifurcate that into interoperability with alternative blockchain protocols. And then secondary to that is interoperability with uh, with external metaverse environments. Um, from what I would say is um, we're not prioritizing development of that interoperability internally whatsoever. There are plenty of teams out there that are focused on building these protocols and these features, which once again, when they're available, we'd be more than happy to integrate into um, our gaming ecosystem. Uh, with that said, I think there are a couple of challenges ahead of us. And one of them is just kind of the fundamental economic incentives that need to exist for uh, any project to have a desire to integrate alternative assets into into their environment, right? Mm -hmm. um, what's difficult about it is one, you know, especially in our case, we're developing out these extremely high quality models and assets in our game. Anytime you look to move an asset from our environment into another one or from, or vice versa, you know, that asset effectively needs to be recreated. recreated. So who's doing that work, right? What's the incentive for them to do that work? And I think there's an mm -hmm. enormous potential out there for, designers and developers to actually facilitate that process and find a way for themselves to be compensated in doing so, which we, we completely support. But again, from our side, we're very much focused on building our own ecosystem and all of the products that will live in Star Atlas. And then again, there is a bit of a disincentive for us to start incorporating external assets that we would either need to recreate or would have to meet our standards of quality to be able to be integrated into Star Atlas. So um, that's where we're at today. However, in the future, I certainly see this concept of kind of multiverse model existing where there is fluid transition of assets between all of the metaverses out there, whether they're open or closed uh, versions of this concept. Uh, I don't know what the timeline looks like on that. It's probably extended. Um, and the, the last point I would really make, though, is about our ethos and ideology around decentralization over time and essentially turning over our product, our ecosystem to the world. We liken it to being a public utility that should be openly accessible to every creator and participant and entrepreneur and innovator around the world to be able to build on top of this over time. So our responsibility transitions from, okay, we're building a very high quality gaming concept to we're building the tools that builders will need to be able to continue the evolution of the metaverse into the future. Now, at that point, we effectively give away control. This is just through our Polis token and through the, the DAO that we have in place. But um, at that point, it doesn't become a decision that we make. It becomes a decision that the DAO makes as to whether or not they want to permit um, this this transition or this flow of assets into uh, the Star Atlas universe. So more generally, would you consider Star Atlas an open or closed ecosystem? It kind of sounds like it's a closed ecosystem right now, but you have plans to open it up with the DAO governance and a lot of other features. Uh, so maybe speak on how you plan on opening up this ecosystem to other creators and making it more of an open ecosystem metaverse. Yeah, very much intended to be open ecosystem over time. The uh, responsibility that we feel that we have and the reason why it's more of this centralized, closed uh, ecosystem today is we've outlined a very ambitious vision for what we want to build here. And we it's going to take us many years to fulfill that that requirement and deliver that product to the world. So we essentially have complete control over the DAO in the short term with the intention and ambition of decentralizing over time. The way that happens is pretty simple. It's, it's through the DAO framework and the emission of Polis tokens to governors or stakers uh, to that protocol over time. And this is you know, a four to five year life cycle before we lose majority share or control over that DAO. Um, 
in the future, as I said, the, our, our responsibility will transition from um, you know, building out the gaming product, which is really the first application that lives inside the Star Atlas universe. Uh, we're putting tremendous energy into creating this super high quality product, but um, once, once that's essentially done, right, then our, our obligation moves to what tools do we build what SDKs and APIs can we um, provide that enable external creators to build around Star Atlas? One thing I would mention, and this isn't, um, this is kind of alpha for you guys. It hasn't really been publicly disclosed yet, but we um, we're working on a concept right now that includes a test planet or a test environment uh, that we can essentially got to figure out the model or the commercialization, but either license it out or provide access to those external developers. Um, so it's it's the test bed. Um, they can build their own communities and social experiences and even their own economies in these worlds. Um, and while it wouldn't immediately live inside the Star Atlas core universe, it would be this tangential miniverse that exists that would be accessible through our game client. So we understand the potential of building for builders today, even though we're focused on building the game ourselves right now. And so we want to start enabling those tools to the community sooner than later. And, and hopefully we can... Um, deliver on that before the end of this year. I think that'd be so cool. Uh, and I need the chat to smash the like button for that alpha from Michael. Thank you so much. Um, but let's let's dive into the metaverse that is Star Atlas for just a second. Uh, so there are some NFTs that are already available on the marketplace. I picked up a couple of speeders, um, you know, planet cruiser type ships. And then I also picked up one that I think is interplanetary or has interplanetary capabilities. Um, so if you could just give us like a broad outlook on what NFTs you've put out so far and if that's been successful. Yeah, well, it has been incredibly successful. Um, I'll outline the uh, kind of asset categories or classes of NFTs that will exist in Star Atlas. Um, that, of course, includes ships as NFTs, mm -hmm. crew members, components and modules. So you can think of like weapon systems and shields and uh, and your uh, propulsion mechanism. So, you know, how are you actually flying through space? Uh, we all also will sell two separate versions of land. There's cosmetic land and then there's productive land. Productive land feeds into this gameplay loop of mining, the extraction of resources from planets. And then uh, those become inputs through a refining process in a, in a genuine supply chain wherein the player can actually craft and create their own NFTs that we've released in the past based on blueprints that are available. The cosmetic land would be more like player habitats on central space stations, uh, or it could be guild meeting halls. So you guys are probably well aware that uh, there are many guilds out there forming right now that are dedicated to this play to earn space. Um, and they're all out there raising capital of their own right now with the intention of purchasing assets and then deploying those and generating yield for themselves with you know, Yield Guild Games really being the preeminent player in that space, or at least the leader uh, first to market in that space. So, and then in addition to that, things like uh, um, orbital space stations, which are supplementary to land assets, and, uh, you know, even going so far as being able to build mega structures like Dyson Spheres, which become portals to other places around the universe. And what's cool is the players that create those are the ones that are able to monetize that. They can charge whatever the fee is to go through that gate to transport them, uh, another player to another point in the universe. So uh, what we've sold to date, though, uh, really just consists of ship NFTs. And that was uh, preceding the launch of our first game feature, which we call Score. Uh, that's ship commissions on remote expeditions. 
And the idea with SCORE is it's a ship enlistment process. You kind of loan your assets out to the faction. You manage a set of four different resources. And as a result of that, um, you're able to earn emissions in Atlas, which is the second token in our ecosystem and the medium of exchange. That's really There's... interesting, Logan. I have a, a quick follow-up. So people can actually charge uh, to teleport others like around the universe, right? So how else would you get around the universe? Does it cost maybe like gas not ethereum fees obviously but like <laughs> spaceship gas uh, and does it take time or how does that work yeah absolutely right i mean the idea is to um, be a complete creator-based circular economy in the in the long term so like everything that everybody creates they're able to monetize on a peer-to-peer -peer basis um, and not necessarily through a pure mission schedule from us which i think is a major pitfall for existing blockchain blockchain games and even uh DeFi in many ways where 100%. there's there's a subsidy in place to attract you know, liquidity to say pools, but then once that subsidy goes away, there's no longer a uh, sustainable incentive in place to retain those users. And you get people that are pool hopping as a result of that or protocol hopping. Um, uh, so, but yeah, to your exact point, effectively every activity in Star Atlas is uh, currently designed and structured as if it was a real world business activity, which means sure there's the potential for profitability off of that, but there's also operating costs on everything you do. And so if you're flying around a ship as in the case of SCORE, you need to uh, repair your ship over time, refuel it, you need to feed your crew members, and you need to purchase ammunition. So those would be some of the operating costs that go into piloting a ship. And uh, some ships are more efficient than other, others, depending on the classification and size of that item. Huh. Interesting. So, you know, you have Dyson Spheres. Clearly, you're taking the physics seriously. Uh, how big is the, uh, you know, observable universe or... Metaverse, um, is, it, is it limitless? Is it growing over time? Um, how do you decide where to cut it off? Yeah, it's a great question. And it, it is uh, one of the areas of game balance that we have to, and economic balance that we have to consistently focus on. Um, the ideas, you know, around many ideas, uh, uh, behind many NFTs is this concept of scarcity, right? So like we can't just overpopulate and overinflate, nor can we go and create the entire observable universe today. Uh, the metrics that we use are daily active users or monthly active users. So we look at growth mm. in the user base as one metric. Um, and we use that um, intensely to determine quantity of supply of various assets. Uh, we also look at market dynamics, like what's going on with price inflation of assets over time. Um, what's important to us is I, some of these will continuously be very scarce assets. And I'll, I actually want to get into a little bit about NFT destruction over time or kind of def deflation of these assets over time. But um, uh, if, you know, if the entry point assets start to in get increasingly expensive, then we eliminate a huge uh, proportion of our potential demographic, which is people from emerging markets or developing countries. So we need these access points where the price essentially maintains itself over time. And that's our entry level ships and entry level land. Um, where where it really starts to get interesting though with with say things like appreciation in price of, of assets is we have this concept of hardcore mode in our high security zone or deep space um entering into deep space the concept right now is that your assets actually enter into an escrow account via smart contract so you're kind of signing it over to the escrow uh losing a battle in deep space means that your nft would actually be permanently destroyed the other player 
would get to recapture or salvage some of the items from your ship. Now, not only is that really thrilling and engaging gameplay, but also naturally all of the highest rewards exist out in that deep space zone. So like the rarest materials that can be sourced, um, the greatest levels of income in Atlas can be derived there. So there's an incentive to explore deep space, but also it's naturally very risky. Now that what that means is that over time, some of these ships might get permanently destroyed out of existence with the exception of if blueprints exist, then a player can craft it, create it, and hmm. satisfy the demand in the market for those items. That's so cool. So how many people are on your team right now? How many people are building this? And at what point do you think you'll have enough to actually put something out? Well, we've already been delivering. Um, you know, we do have initial... Sure, I, I mean, I, I mean the fully um, playable metaverse game. Sure. Um, yeah, so I guess... I'll start with the how many people we have on the team. It's one of the, my proudest metrics. You know, starting last year with four people on the team, our co-founding team, um, uh, we're sitting around 225 people today. Now that does include. I, I will caveat that and say that does include some external, um, say, contractors or co-development teams that we're working with. So uh, I would mention here, Spearsoft is a co-development team that we work with on Unreal Engine development. Uh, there's 30 people on that team, but those are exclusive to our development pipeline at Star Atlas. So, um, and we'll be con contracted with them for many years to come. So I'm comfortable including them kind of in our team size, but uh, it was it was massive growth. And on average, we hire essentially one person per day right now. Um, it's it's pretty wild. We have a huge uh, recruiting pipeline. Uh, I would expect this to be in the neighborhood of 400 to 500 people by the end of this year, and will likely grow to a thousand, maybe 1,200 people in the long run. So, um, uh, obviously, some of that there's a lag in production versus recruiting. Right? We need to get these people onboarded, um, appraised with. Uh, all of our development pipelines, with our objectives, with our roadmap, and then uh, uh, coordinate their work product with uh, with our goals. So it's it's great to see many many talented, passionate, enthusiastic people though joining us. Um, and I would I would also comment here that it's almost less related to our external recruiting efforts, not to diminish anything that our recruiting team is doing, uh, but we get outreach from people every day that see what we're building at star atlas and just want to take part in it so um again very encouraging metric in my opinion uh in terms of when we'll see the first unreal engine experience it's anticipated for this year sometime mid-year uh, i would also note here that our development strategy is is not to produce the full version of the game and deliver that all at once right we're uh because we launched to the product uh, the product to the world as essentially a vision um, it's important for us to consistently deliver experiences that create continuous engagement. So uh, our first module we call the showroom, and what players will be able to do is enter into this uh, immersive space, uh, load up ship models, participate in ship configuration. They'll be able to deploy their assets and participate in all of the features that we're also concurrently launching through our web-based minigame. Um, that's where SCORE was launched, by the way, and it's, it's integrated fully with our marketplace at play.staratlist.com. But um, uh, what's going to be really cool is first seeing the high fidelity of the assets, but also seeing them at scale. So like when you're buying these NFTs on the marketplace right now, you might be looking at a Pierce X4 that's you know, eight meters or 10 meters long, and the image is the same size as a commander ship that might be six or 700 meters long. Right. Well, when we drop those assets in engine uh, and, you know, fortunately, 
we get all the first look at this because we're building it, but um, it's it's just incredible to see the true scale of the asset, be able to walk around the interiors of these ships and explore them. And, you know, it gives a real sense of what, what asset you're actually purchasing versus looking at a mm -hmm. 2D gallery of 2D images on our marketplace. Very cool. That's awesome. So you guys have two tokens, and this might be confusing to some of our viewers that, you know, aren't too familiar with Star Atlas. So can you explain the differences between Atlas and Polis for someone who might not be aware? Sure. Yeah. Atlas is the medium of exchange. It is the uh, currency of the universe. So all income, uh, as well as all expenses, are denominated in Atlas. It's intended to be a transactional currency, just like, say, the U.S. dollar is, right? Um it was important for us to isolate the financial incentive mechanism from the governance mechanism, which is really intended to be, you know, held longer term, non-transactional. It's intended for people that want to participate in not only governance, um, of course, you know, there's uh, economic incentives in place related to um, emissions, as well as part of the recapture of all of these expenses across the entire economy of Star Atlas. So like all of those expenses, operating costs that I referred to, whether it be purchasing fuel or paying land value tax or replacing equipment over time, those are actually captured and delivered to the DAO. And then the DAO can determine how to utilize those funds, whether it's distribution out or, you know, what I think would be um, a, a, a probably a better use of those, uh, that capital initially would be to um, actually use that for user growth campaigns with the intention of continuously growing the user base and growing the economy, which leads to greater, you know, effective taxation of the universe over time. But um, in any case, the, the, the critical piece of the DAO is that, again, the community gets to take over Star Atlas over time, and they get to decide on the future direction, design, development of this universe itself. It might mean that in 10 years, our core team behind Star Atlas, the studio that's building the game, is no longer fully engaged with the continuous development, but rather the DAO is creating a contract with some um, other third-party AAA game developer to continue the, the design. And as a direct result of this, I think Star Atlas is one of the first technology products to come to the world that could have uh, effectively an infinite or perpetual life cycle because people will constantly be building on this over time into the future. And there's, um, there's already an economic mechanism in place that can compensate people for that development. So um, I think it's really progressive. It hasn't ever been done before, but um, could lead to, lead to some really interesting uh, dynamics in the future. Mm -hmm. Michael, I'm, I'm curious to hear your thoughts. We saw Steam ban NFT games. Um, a, a lot of traditional gaming uh, you know, individuals, whether they're players or developers, um, have, have been kind of hesitant towards this crypto NFT shift. Um, what are your thoughts on maybe uh, why this is and how it's changing? Like, uh, I personally have the, the feeling that this is going to be a huge, huge year for gaming on chain. Uh, I'm curious to hear if you agree or not. I completely agree. I, I think it's um, the value proposition of introducing these decentralized economies to gaming universes just makes a lot of sense. It's it's mutually beneficial. Like we we transform the the paradigm of uh, mon money flow of money from being unidirectional, right? So from the player to the studio to being bidirectional. Um, both parties can benefit, but you do have to create really unique revenue models um, behind a company to be able to deliver on this feature set. Um, but, you know, things like true asset ownership for players and liquid peer-to-peer -peer markets where they can, you know, transact with other people 
that's clearly an advantage over um, closed ecosystems with in inherent restrictions on the ability to sell your assets. See, in that model, it's the studio competing with other players to sell assets, and they're looking to maximize the revenues through asset sales. We have entirely unique mechanisms in place that allow us to recapture value through other ways, and the DAO being one of those. Um, <clears throat> so uh, with that being said, I'm not surprised that we're seeing mainstream publishers um, um, have reticence around introducing these assets. What I would note here is a significant degree of regulatory, regulatory uncertainty. Um, and that's probably the biggest concern. Now, I personally have been in the space since 2013. This is the second company I've launched. You know, we've been operating in the gray area with this uncertainty uh, for a long time. And so it's a, an area that we're comfortable with, but also um, trying to be proactive around. So working with groups like the Blockchain Association, largest uh, crypto representative trade group in the U.S., um, which helps inform and educate policymakers on the potential benefits of these types of applications. So we're trying to lead that charge and we're trying to educate legislators and policymakers on where the inherent advantages and benefits lie and um, uh, obviously consistently monitoring the landscape to figure out what changes we need to dynamically make. But we have to be very nimble. You know, that's the thing. And I think that's scary to legacy businesses who have an established model where they know where their income is coming from and they um, aren't necessarily looking to push boundaries or be on the bleeding edge. And so that's an area that we're comfortable in and we think gives us a pretty significant advantage. I want to hear what's next for Star Atlas. Um, but before, I have a quick question. So we've seen companies like Google, Amazon, and Apple panicking about the flight of talent uh, to companies in the Web3 space. Are you able to uh, shed some insight on, on you know, where you're making the majority of your hires from? Um, is this already, uh, are, are these people already deep in, in Silicon Valley or are they more in the gaming side um, or somewhere else? Uh, hard to allocate specifically where they're coming from uh, because we have so many different roles that we're filling right now, but uh, these are coming from Fortune 500 companies, from uh, existing AAA game studios, like Blizzard and Riot and Activision and uh, Ubisoft. Um, uh, we're recruiting from companies like Facebook and, or Meta. And, and uh, um, it's, again, I think what we're, what we're identifying is that a lot of the people that are joining the team are very enthusiastic about the potential of this concept and in particular about Web3. And the, you know, the smartest people out there, the most talented people out there are not just looking for a paycheck. They're looking to work on a project that stimulates their creativity. And we provide that, right? Because we're solving problems every single day. We're working at, on the outer edges of technology development in many areas. Right? Not only in game development, but also working across blockchain and Web3 and then, you know, traditional web development as well, but being as progressive as possible there. And so um, it creates this really unique working environment. Um, and I would say our company culture is uh, developing quite nicely. Uh, we do a lot of internal surveys and we, we've gotten a lot of anonymous positive feedback about the methods in which we utilize to manage. But the, the other thing about us is that we're also a fully distributed company. Um, you know, all those people that are working with us now are across 26 countries. We don't have a central headquarters. We essentially operate out of Discord and we're still able to successfully navigate uh, project planning and deliverables. And, um, but we also 
you know, we, we want to create this um, environment wherein, you know, it's not necessarily work or life, it's work and life. And if, you know, creating a place where people can have freedom and be empowered to work in the fashion that they want to work when they want to work, uh, as long as those, you know, requirements, project requirements are being met. So I think people are really enjoying the way that, that we operate. And uh, I, I think we'll continue to see uh, this accretion of substantial talent and bright people from around the world as a result of that. Yeah, I certainly yeah. agree. All right, Michael, we're almost out of time. Um, but if there's any one thing that's exciting you the most you want to share, any shout outs to the team you want to give uh, or other little alpha tips you have, the floor is yours. No, I, you know, I, I always try to express my gratitude for the team. Again, we couldn't be doing this without the bright minds that we have behind us. And, and again, the way we think about this is kind of uh, the head is is the, the brain power is the capability of doing something. But the heart is the passion and the enthusiasm and the desire to do something. And uh, really grateful that we have people that uh, across the team that bring both the, the head and the heart to this project. So uh, always thankful for the team. We've got a really exciting year ahead of us, guys. Um, we just got through a lot of our project planning uh, over the, the first couple of weeks of this month. So major features coming out, including a new marketplace um, program that we're building. Uh, we, we have uh, features across crafting, mining, um, and uh, uh, this minting of NFTs. We have our showroom module coming out. We're looking at new versions of ship missions to be coming out later this year as well. So a lot of really exciting stuff on the horizon. We're all going to have to sit here and weather this storm, this this macro environment that we're going through right now. But I will say I'm I'm still optimistic that uh, the bull's not over. You know, I, I've been mm -hmm. through a lot of these cycles, and I, I think it's going to be a very promising year for blockchain gaming and for metaverse in particular. So uh, I think there's going to be a lot of resilience there that we experience, especially as we release these features this year. Couldn't agree more. Michael, thank you so much for your time today. Uh, and to everyone out there in the Benzinga audience, thank you for tuning in as well. Make sure to smash the like button and look up Star Atlas. This is not a project you want to sleep on. Uh, yeah, that's it for today's episode. We will see you back here on Friday. Peace out. Thanks. Support for this podcast and the following message come from Coriant. Coriant provides wealth management services centered around you. They focus on exceeding your expectations and simplifying your life. Coriant has been helping high achievers just like you enjoy their lives more fully, preserve their wealth, and provide for the people, causes, and communities they care about. As one of the largest integrated fee-only registered investment advisors in the U.S., Coriant has deeply experienced teams in 23 strategic locations. Coriant has extensive knowledge spanning the full spectrum of planning, investing, lending, and money management disciplines. Leverage Coriant's exclusive network of experts to craft custom solutions designed to help you reach your financial goals, no matter how complex they may be. Real wealth requires real solutions. For more information, connect with a wealth advisor today at Coriant.com. That's C-O-R-I-E-N-T.com. Coriant.com. Without the ones like you, who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you, with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done.